this morning. I believe that God has said that your end is going to be better than your beginning. I don't know what your beginning was like. It may have been small. It may have been that you didn't flourish. I don't know what your start was like. But in Job, it says that his end was better than his beginning. And that's what I declare for you this morning, that your end is going to be better than your beginning. That's a good, that's a, that's a good promise. That's one that should get you excited at least, because your end is going to be better than your beginning. What the God has started in you, he's going to finish in you, because he loves you. And for your family, he's for you today. He's for you today. You know, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that as I, as I read through the Bible, and I got a new Bible, I was blessed by Mum and Godfrey. They blessed me with a new Bible. So I'm blessed. It's weird reading the new Bible, isn't it? You get used to your Bible. My Bible was falling apart. It had gorilla tape all over it, and it was time to change. But now when you get used to a new, when you get, or a new, you get used to your old Bible, don't you? And then when you get a new one, you're kind of like, is God, is this your word? Is it like even? <laughs> but I like it. Godfrey was a little bit nervous last week when I had the sponge and water out. He was thinking I was going to get my Bible soaking wet or something, but it's all right. It's dry. But I'm amazed as I, as I read through this word that how many times at the end of each book, there is blessing and there is hope. There's blessing and there is hope. And I'm talking books in the Old Testament. Where you kind of think, well, that's the Old Testament. God, God wasn't happy with people in the Old Testament, was he? He was always angry. And he was always doing things kind of fire and brick. Well, I want to tell you, God was into restoration in the Old Testament. And his Old Testament, he was always looking for love and to draw his children back to himself. That's what he wants for us. It's to bring us back. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone from God, there's always a way back. There's always a way back. There's always a way back. (laughs) He's not changed, Becky, is he? He's not changed. He's still. Well, you touch me, didn't you? Well, God touches you, brother. You don't need me to touch you. When God touched me, he changed my life. Well, yeah, that's it. He gave me a mouth to shout his praise. He did. And I keep telling you, God's going to use you one day. (laughs) That's our little joke, all right? That's our little joke. But I want to tell you, I mean, look at this. Look, look, look. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, two kings, Ezekiel, Micah, Haggai, Daniel, Amos, Joel. All of those books that I've named, when you look at them, the last few verses in each of those books is talking about God's blessing and God's hope. At the end of the book. And I want to tell you, your life at the end, God is still wanting to do you good. He's wanting to bless you. He's wanting to prosper you. Because he wants to restore you for your good, Carol. That's what I love. Every time I've read that in Ezekiel, the very last words in Ezekiel, it says, I, the Lord, am there. And it's in big, bold letters. So we don't miss it. I, the Lord, am there. So wherever it is that you're feeling like today, whether you're backslidden, whether you feel you're miles away from God, whether you're on the mountaintop thinking everything's rosy, God says, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there in the valley and I'm there on the mountain. You can't go anywhere from my presence. Even if I make my bed in hell, God says, I'll be there. You can't run from my presence. You may feel like a Jonah today and feel like God's spoken to me 10 years ago and I'm, I don't want to do it, Lord. I don't want to do it. I don't know if that's you. But even with Jonah, God caught up with him in the end. Yeah. 
We don't know whether his end was better because it kind of leaves it a bit hanging, doesn't it, with Jonah? We'll ask him one day when we're in heaven, we can say, hey, how did you actually get on with that? I'm intrigued. Where are we going then this morning? Where are we going? How do you carry on with that? 25 minutes to go. Uh, Last week we were talking about if you believe it, you'll build it. Yeah, do you remember that last week? And Dave, I gave him the title to my message and I never actually put my title up last week, did I? And for those of you who've looked on YouTube, oh yeah, YouTube, you subscribers, we were up to 100. We got up to 101. We got up to 101. And then because some people were thinking there's a prize for being the 100, we went down to 97. So some people have been unsubscribing. Who are you? Mark unsubscribed, did he? And he was waiting for the 100. Oh, he was little... So people started unsubscribing. Al, have you subscribed to it? You've got to get on the YouTube channel. Subscribe to it. That's what we need. More subscribers on there. And my title on there, I'm giving it to Dave to put up there. And he put sharper than you think. And he's like, how does your message last week relate to sharper than you think? Because I didn't even mention that. So people think sharper than I think. He didn't even mention it. But it came from saying that this word, this word will become alive. In your heart and in your mouth, this word will become alive. And I said last week that the word is already alive. It's living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword able to discern hearts and thoughts. It's already alive. There you go. Look, they've got it. Well done. That was loud. As I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, I think this is more of a series title. Because I'm on for... Trevor's on next week, and then I'm on for another two weeks after that, so you got me for another two weeks afterwards. So I think that's my series title, John, all right? Sharper than you think. But my message title today is Standing Out from the Crowd. Standing Out from the Crowd. What does that, what does that mean? I see, I haven't got any problems standing out in the crowd. Being six foot four and a half, (laughs) I've always stood out from the crowd. Some of you may say in more ways than one. Yeah, I know. And I remember a few years ago when we were, um, where were we? I think we were in Rome, weren't we? Or somewhere. We were on the tube, I think, in Rome. And as we were going through, we were kind of, you know what the tube's like? It kind of rocks and it rolls, doesn't it? And as we were doing that, I suddenly looked around, and my Italian isn't very good. I kind of know a little bit of Italian. I know bonjour. I know... (laughs) Ciao. Pizza, spaghetti bolognese, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Napoli. That's kind of as far as my Italian goes. And suddenly we're aware as we're stood there, and this tube is rocking and rolling. I'm holding on to the, the thing. They were suddenly aware that lots of people are all suddenly they're staring up at me. They're actually staring up at me, weren't they? And pointing at me. <laughs> and all these Italian people, and they were very small people suddenly. I know most people are small compared to me, but they were all small. And this little old lady, wasn't it? They were going, speaking Italian. And then they started pointing, and then her hand just comes out and she grabs hold of me like this, didn't she? And I'm suddenly aware that I'm the kind of focal point for her so she doesn't kind of fall over. 
And she just started looking and pointing in the next thing. She said, I understood what she said. She went, Mamma Mia, she said. <laughs> and I guess I'm just thinking, that, does that just mean I'm a tall person, I guess? But, and then, I'm not making And then there was another time where people started following me and they actually used me as a landmark. <laughs> I'm aware that people are fun. They said, don't you move because we've said to people, we're going to meet you here next to the tall guy. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I'm used to standing out. I'm used to standing out, okay, Levina? I'm used to it. I'm used to standing out. But today, standing out from the crowd, I've got to get to Jesus. I don't know if you realise the theme through our songs of worship this morning was talking all about Jesus talking all about Jesus it has to be about Jesus I have to get to Jesus I have to get to Jesus and that's where I'm coming from this morning in the 20 minutes I've got stop talking about Italians and subways and get on with it you've got to set the scene standing out because it's okay to stand out from the crowd but I've got to get to Jesus got to get to Jesus so Mark chapter 2 please Mark chapter 2 that's where we're going to be this morning Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 and it's talking about Jesus who forgives and heals a paralytic Mark chapter 2 and we'll read it we'll read it Mark chapter 2 are you there yeah So it says again, he, that's Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. See, Jesus is coming. It says again, he entered Capernaum after some days. See, there may be that you're in a waiting period, but Jesus finally turns up to Capernaum after some days. Jesus is coming and I'd rather be, it says he's in the house. I want to be in the house. I have to be in the house. Life's too short not to be in the house. Life's too short. There's too much stuff going on in the world out there for me not to be in here and see what Jesus is saying, what he's doing. He was in the house. And immediately many gathered together so there was no longer room to receive him, not even near the door. (laughs) And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who had been carried by four men. And when they could not come near to him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Reasoning in their hearts. Remember his word is sharper to discern thoughts and heart intention. They were sat there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but only God alone? But immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. And he said, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven Or to say to him, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power 
That's what we've been singing about this morning, isn't it? He has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, he said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose and took up his bed and went out in the presence of them all. So they were amazed and they glorified God saying, we ain't seen nothing like this before. We haven't seen anything like this. Wow. Paralytic gets to Jesus. Can you imagine with me just for one minute? Can you imagine with me the conversation in the morning? The conversation in the morning of this man laying on a bed over breakfast. We have this thing when we go to your mum's, Joe, don't we, where we have breakfast together. It's always a thing of we have to speak in a Yorkshire accent. I don't know why, to pass the butter. You can't say butter without kind of being in a silly accent. But over breakfast as they were maybe there and they were saying, hey, we'll call him Rufus, okay? We'll call him Rufus. He's on the bed. He gets lowered through the roof later, right? Just in case. We don't know his name, but we'll call him Rufus. And he says, hey, can you pass the butter over, Rufus? Can you, can you, do, can you, can you um, pour some more tea over breakfast? And they're saying, hey, I've heard of Jesus, this Jesus going to Capernaum. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? I've heard him heal diseases. I've heard him speak to the wind and the waves and it ceases. I've heard him cast out demons. Even the spiritual demons, they're, they're, they're subject to him. And as they looked at each other, one looked at one, one looked at the other, one looked at Rufus and he's lying there eating his breakfast and he says, what about if we get to Jesus? I've heard he's in the house. What if we take Rufus to Jesus? That was their faith. Faith started to stir. Can you, can you imagine it? See, we just read it saying that four guys took him to Jesus. What about what led up to that? What about what led up to that? Rufus says, yeah, I'm up for that. I'm up for that. I'm up for being carried to Jesus, but I need some people to carry me because I'm here, I'm, I'm laid out on this bed, I can't move. And it says that four men carried him. Maybe they were his brothers. Maybe they were his sons. Maybe this was their dad laying on a bed that they have all their life pretty much maybe, never seen their dad walk. They never had true life. I don't know. But it's good to think about things like that, isn't it? It puts it into a different context. Side note, how good was John on Monday night? At yeah. Chat in the chapel? Brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, you missed out if you weren't. Yeah, hey, John, you were brilliant, mate, okay? We loved what you did. We love what you did. There is teaching in this house. Loved it. The next one's going to be on the 28th of November. Monday the 28th, so we'll, we'll advertise it. Just getting it out there so you, you're hearing about it. But these guys... Verse 2, it says that it was a sellout. <laughs> a bit like Argyle Exeter tomorrow night. I miss getting a ticket. Thought, yeah, I'll ring up, get a ticket. It's been sold out. Couldn't get a ticket for love nor money. It was a sellout. Not even standing room, it says. There was no VIP section. No VIP section. Not even a section for the disabled. Bringing a man on a mat, there was no room back then, there was no room. It says not even at the door. 
They couldn't even get in at the door. In verse 3, I'd imagine that they probably turned up late. They could be forgiven. Carrying a man, it was probably quite heavy. They got there late. Can you imagine the arguing, especially if it was brothers? One's taken up the slack more than the other, and Rufus is starting to slip off the bed maybe a little bit, and they're like, I'm going as fast as I can. And so they got there late. If they were family, they probably were squabbling. Families, well, your family may not squabble, but mine does. Yours is a good family, okay? Yeah? But if it was family, they were likely to have been squabbling. Yeah, because that's what you do, siblings. We squabble. Squabble. I, just suppose, I don't know if you're taking notes. I don't know how you spell squabble, but that's a good one for scrabble, maybe. But it sounds like they were a little bit late, which was forgivable. Which is forgivable. But faith, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, what does it say? Faith is a walk. Faith is a walk. You walk by faith, Paul says, not by sight. And you set your focus and your faith on unseen things and eternal things. And what Paul says is see the present from the perspective of the future. I like that. That's what faith says. You see the present from the perspective of the future. Last week I said if you believe it's going to rain, you'll build an ark. If you believe you're going to have a baby, you decorate the nursery. If God has said it, then you believe it. Faith is a walk. And so these guys here, they're walking. They're walking. This is part of their faith journey. And we know that sometimes life is a struggle, isn't it? Sometimes life is a struggle. But they're walking. And then they get to the house. And they said, we've come all this way. And when they get there, they can't get in. They can't get in. The room is fully jammed. They can't even get near the door. And they're saying, but we had faith. We believe God said. If you relate it to my life and your life, you say, well, I believe God said it. And I've got to the place where I think God has taken me and I can't get in. What do you do? I've come all this way. I've come too far to quit. Come this far with Rufus to carry on back home and say, well, we can't get in. Let's just call it a day then. We obviously didn't hear from God. What do they do? Because I want to know what faith looks like. What does faith actually look like? Faith looks like this. Faith says that they climbed to the top of the roof. They climbed to the top of the roof. I don't know how they did that carrying guy on a stretcher. That must have been difficult. But faith sometimes is difficult, isn't it? That's the whole essence of faith. It's not easy. You've got to walk not seeing. You've got to step out not knowing. But that's what faith, that's what these four brothers, we'll call them brothers, that's what they did. That's what they did. That's what faith looks like. See, faith interrupts. Faith is sharp. And as they start to peel back the roof tiles, which was clay and straw in those days, as one sort of said, hey, I got a good idea. Let's get, maybe he was just saying it for a laugh to begin with. That's the sort of thing maybe I would have said. Hey, let's get them up on the roof and start ripping off roof tiles. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? 
And then someone said, well, actually, that's a good idea. And so they started to peel back. And we know the story, if you've read it before, is that as they peel it back, it would have had to have been a big enough hole to get a stretcher for a fully grown man through the roof. It wasn't just a tiny little hole and they looked through and Jesus could see their face. This was a big hole. And the sunlight might have been coming through as Jesus started to preach. It says he was preaching. Can you imagine all the dust and bits starting? There's the first bit where the first hole opened up and Jesus was interrupted. See, Jesus gets interrupted by faith. When you're in faith, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know that? Without your faith, it's impossible to please him. So Jesus is pleased with your faith. And he looks up and what does it say? He says he didn't see the man. It says that he saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith as they broke through the crowd. What does the crowd mean? Crowd to me just means life. Just means life. Life sometimes can stop you getting where you want to be. Life can just happen. Life can just happen when you think, God, I don't even know why I feel down today, but just life, just stuff is happening. That to me represents the crowd. It had stopped him from getting to Jesus. Standing out from the crowd. What about other times in the Bible? Think about... The lady with the issue of, of, of blood who had been ill and, and sick for 12 years. What did she do? She got to Jesus. The crowd was all around Jesus, but she got on her hands and knees. She didn't go on the roof, but she went down. And she said, I've got to get to Jesus. And she pushed through the crowd and touched Jesus. And what did he say? He said, your faith has made you well. What about another crowd? Was Zacchaeus. Yeah, he couldn't get to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. And he couldn't because of the crowd again. Because of life, because of whatever. So he, he climbed a tree to see Jesus. And what did Jesus do? As he went by, he stopped and he saw Zacchaeus, didn't he? To me, that is Zacchaeus' faith. He said, I'm not going to just blend in. I've got to get to see Jesus. That was the part of his repentance when his faith stirred to say, hey, I'm climbing this tree. I need to get to Jesus. What about feeding the 5,000? Another crowd. A little bit different, but they were a crowd. And there was 5,000 men amongst women and children. We don't know how many. There were probably about 25, 30, 40,000, anything. Depends on how big the families were. But it was definitely 5,000 men. But who stood out? One little boy. I love that. One little boy, Lavina, stood out from amongst all the men. All the men. And he stood out. What he had done is he had put together a little lunch bag. He may have even made it himself. We're teaching Rosie how to do her own lunch at the minute. That's interesting. Aren't you, Rosie? Starting to learn how to put a sandwich. We, we went out the other day and we said, where's Rosie gone? And we're like, oh, she's done her own lunch. Couldn't believe it. We nearly fell over. Oh, hmm, hmm. What are you going all vulnerable for? But it's good. You're starting to learn how to do your own lunch, aren't you? She was sat in there. She had a, made a wrap with ham and cheese in it. But then we went out on the table and there was carnage out there on the table. <laughs> Bless her. But this little boy had made his own lunch. 
He had made his own lunch. Little did he know that morning around the breakfast table, the little bit of lunch that he had gathered together was going to bring about an amazing miracle that's still being talked about even now, this day. One little lad stood out amongst 5,000 men. One boy. What that says to me is it doesn't matter how small you are, not in the natural, but even in the spiritual, you could be saved for just two minutes and God can use you. When you say, hey, I've got this little bit of faith, that's all you need. Faith is a mustard seed, a small bit of faith. So don't despise small things. Zachariah thinks that don't despise the small. With the platelets increasing, don't despise the small. Even with a sore throat and you say, well, God, I've got this. Look for them, be positive with the small. Huh? It's gone. The lumps, Wow. Thank you, Lord, when the lump's gone. <laughs> Amen. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What a, she said, has it gone? Is it actually gone? It's gone. Thank you, Lord. Amen. See, if you can't get to Jesus, you'll climb a tree. Faith, it says, their faith breaks through. Faith breaks through. It says when they couldn't get to Jesus, they started to rip off the tiles. It says, and when they had broken through, faith always breaks through. Faith always cuts through doubt. Faith always cuts through logic. And then they start to lower Rufus down. See what faith also is. Faith, it says in 1 Timothy, faith is a fight. Faith is a fight. And faith fights through opposition. Faith fights through disappointment. Faith fights through tiredness. Faith fights through routine. See, this guy Rufus, he had a routine where he just could have said, well, this is my lot. This is the way life is supposed to be. And just accept it. Whereas he doesn't, he has faith. The four men and him, the five, faith of five, get to Jesus. Because faith is a fight. And ultimately, faith needs to get from the roof where they were. Faith needs to get from the roof into the room. Faith needs to get from the roof, which Rob always says the fella in the attic needs to get down to the fella in the cellar. It needs to get from here down to here. Well, I've got my own little one. It needs to get from the roof into the room. They had to get Rufus from the roof into the room. And mum's only just got why I've called him Rufus. <laughs> oh, you had it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, Ruth. The brothers are roofers, are they? The brothers, they could be roofers, yeah. They could be roofers. So, it needs to get not just head knowledge, because faith. 
very often is not compatible with head knowledge. Faith is not compatible with head knowledge, just for head knowledge's sake. But what I love about what John did on Monday is it stirs something in our hearts to take us a little bit deeper, a little bit more into the meat, as it says in the Word, not just the milk, but a little bit deeper that you can chew on it. You can say, hey, yeah, I've never seen that before. It's deeper than that. It's not just head knowledge, but it's got to get from the roof into the room. And that's what they did. They peeled it away and they kept digging with their hands. And they didn't care what they were saying maybe underneath, going, what are you doing, you idiots? Stop, we're trying to have a preach. We're trying to have church here. Can you imagine? We're trying to do church. How dare you interrupt our routine on a Sunday morning? That's what I love about what happens when praise and worship. God interrupts our routine. We should never be in a place where we think, well, God, we can't do that. We've got to be out by 12. God interrupts routine. Finally, they lure Rufus down, who had been carried all that time. See, he'd been surrounded by his, his, his family or friends, whoever they were. But there came a time as they lowered him. Can you imagine him being lowered down? A bit like David Blaine. You remember him in that magic box that he was in? As he was just suspended in the ceiling there, in the air. Just suspended. Can you imagine what he must have felt like? As now he feels probably vulnerable. Now he's not sure how the response is going to be. He's there, literally suspended. The brothers aren't with him now. He's on his own. But Jesus looks up at him. Maybe through the sunlight even as he's looking, not quite being able to see properly. And Jesus looks at him and says, your faith has made you well. Your, your faith. See then, as I talked about earlier, verse 8, Jesus discerns the hearts. See, the, the, the series title for this is You're Sharper Than You Think. Do you know that? You are sharper than you think. So often we're our own worst critics, Tara, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, hello, wakey way. <laughs> I know you're not, I know. But we're our own worst critics. But when you believe this word, you are sharper than you think, Lise. You're sharper than you think. And Jesus discerned the hearts and thoughts of the religious people. See, they may be not necessarily complaining about the roof, but they were complaining about who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Why are you speaking blasphemous words? And they would have been blasphemous, wouldn't they? Unless the truth was he was God in the flesh. That's the difference. Only God can forgive sins. And it wasn't blasphemous because he was truth. Only God can forgive. And see, in Jude, it says, talking about faith, see, you have to contend for the faith. You have to contend for the faith. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. Is you have to contend for it. You have to fight for it. It even implies there contend. You have to argue for it. When it's truth, that's what matters. It's not being blasé or easier, but you have to actually argue, it says there about it. Actually contend for it. Fight for it. Almost the implication here is Jacob. You remember when Jacob wrestled with God? That was contending. He says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And we have to contend for the faith, for what God has spoken to us. When you believe it, you have to contend for it. 
Say, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if there's people at the door where I can't get in. If I know that if I get to Jesus, he's going to heal me. If I get to Jesus, he's going to bring deliverance for me. I'm going to contend. I'm going to break through. Because faith always breaks through. You've got to contend for the faith. See, there were a whole group of people that were turning even God's grace into an excuse that they could sin. That's why Jude wrote that. But going back to our friend Rufus, and we'll, we'll bring this to a close. What I love and what I see is interesting here, what intrigues me, is verse 12. He stood out in the crowd. That's the title, standing out from the crowd. See this, verse 12. The very same door he couldn't get carried through. That same door that he couldn't get carried through was the very same door that he stood up and walked out of. (laughs) Do you see that? That door that stopped him coming in was the same door, least, that he walked out of. He stood up. And what does it say? He stood up in the midst of the crowd. That crowd that stopped him. And they weren't doing anything wrong. They were just wanting to see Jesus for themselves. But that thing, as I read that, and I think, how does that apply to my life? That thing that's stopping me. That thing that that may be opposing me in my faith. Jesus says today, that very same thing that's preventing you is going to be the very thing that enables you to walk into your freedom. Because you're going to stand out in the crowd. Some of us may not like standing out in the crowd because we want to just be blended into the back. It's not our natural character to stand out. But I'm talking spiritually, we are called to stand out in the crowd. Spiritually. And it says there that we've never seen anything like that. And I'd like us to stand, please. See, that's what it says. I want you to hear today that God says you ain't seen nothing yet. Sarah Everington, you haven't seen nothing yet. Chris Everington, you haven't seen nothing yet. Because that's what the people said as he walked out, as he stood out in the crowd. They said they were amazed and said, we haven't seen anything like this. We haven't seen anything like this. Be prepared to be amazed. Be prepared to be amazed today, Daryl. Julie, be prepared to be amazed, Jackie. That God's going to say, hey, people are going to look onto you and say, you are highly favoured. You are highly favoured. What does the prophecy say that God's spoken to us? It says that you will find and you will gain favour from unbelievers. That's what it says. God's promise. You are going to find favour. That's what I declare for you as a people, that you will find favour. Ezra stood out rebuilding the the temple. It says that the king paid for the rebuilding costs. An unsaved person. Queen Esther says gain favour. Amongst all the others that were around before the king, she gained favour. And I want to tell you today that Jesus sees you in the crowd. Just like he saw Zacchaeus. He sees you in the crowd. You're not insignificant. He sees you today. He saw the woman. He turned around. Hey, who touched me? 
And I want to tell you today in praise and worship, you touch Jesus. You touch Jesus today. You touch Jesus today. And he turned around and said, hey, who touched me? He felt there was power. It actually says in another version of this, this passage, it says there was power present to heal in this part of Scripture. In another version, there was power present. Every time we come in this place, there is power present to heal and to bring freedom. And what I love is that as they lowered the man down, I relate to that man. I relate to that man laying on the bed. That was me and that was you in your sin. Can you imagine for one minute as he's being lowered and it's me and it's you laying on that bed, having no life, being a sinner? But what does Jesus say to him? He says he forgives you. The only way he can say that is because he's God in the flesh. He forgives. And I don't know whether you need to hear that today, that God forgives you. He forgives you. He wants to pick you up. He wants to dust you off and say, hey, get back on your way. You may feel years have been lost, just maybe wandering through the wilderness. But Jesus says, hey, I see you. I see you. And I forgive you. There's no condemnation in me, Jesus says. You don't have to go back to the start like Monopoly or whatever again where it says go back to the beginning. You don't have to do that. Jesus says, hey, just carry on where you left off. Because my grace is sufficient for you. My love is secure for you. That paralytic man was me and you. I just like you to close your eyes, please. I just want to pray. I know there's some people in here that just need to respond to Jesus. You're not responding to me. You're responding to him this morning. And with eyes closed, it's between you to do business. Uh, For those of you who may be watching online, and we've got a lot of subscribers now. And I know there's people that watch it that may not want other people to know they're watching it. But if you're watching this Whenever, even in a couple years' time, then the the message still stands to say that, hey, what are you going to do with this Jesus? What are you going to do with this Jesus? That You are in your sin today. But Jesus says he wants to forgive you. There's power, there's grace here today to forgive you. And if you're in this building, with all eyes closed, this is between you to say, hey, I respond to you, Jesus. I need the life that you give. I want to stand out from the crowd because life is worth living when I live it with you. And if that's you, I want you to respond by just simply raising your hand saying, yes, Jesus, that's me. I need to rededicate my life. I need to come back to you, Jesus. I've made some mistakes, but Lord, you pick me up and you clean me down and you set me on my way again. It may be that you've walked away from a promise or you're struggling in your faith to say, yes, Lord, I kind of believe, but help me in my unbelief. If that's you, then just simply raise your hand today. You're acknowledging Jesus saying, hey, yeah, I'm getting back on this. I'm getting back on this walk because faith is a walk. 
But it may be that you need to fight for your faith today. So with eyes closed, thank you, Jesus, that some people have responded. Thank you. That Jesus, you are here in the midst this morning. That you forgive sins. You set us apart. You sanctified us. You set us apart for works of ministry. That we may stand out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And as that happened, he said, you haven't seen nothing yet. Your end is going to be better than your beginning. The paralytic man, his end was better than the beginning. (laughs) He went out different to when he came in. And for you today, your end is going to be better than your beginning. But don't despise the small. Because it's very often, like we saw with the boy, the little lunch, the little lad, God uses the small things in our lives very often. Don't despise them. So thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hands. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.